Would you take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4? And we're going to be looking at verses 4 to 16 this morning as we continue in our study of this uh, epistle that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And I'm going to actually pick up a little bit uh, earlier in verse 11 just to give us the context of this again as we move forward into the text. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. It was he, that is Christ, who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ, From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let's pray. Father, your word is good. It is powerful. It's instructive. It shows us how we are to live not only as individuals but as a church. And Father, this passage is just so important for us to understand in terms of who you want us to be and who you want us to become in this world. And Father, I pray that we as a church would be growing in all things into him who is the head of this body, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Well, last week when Pastor Jason was talking, he was uh, sharing some things that are part of being a championship team, if you will. And he talked about how the church is to work together in that sense of teamwork. And we're going to continue that theme this morning, but we're also going to talk more about this idea of maturity, of how we are to grow as individuals and as a church in our relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, what we see in a verse like uh, verse 13 is that the measure of a man or a woman or the measure of a church in terms of our maturity is our relationship to Jesus. Are we becoming more and more like Christ in our thoughts, in our actions, in our attitudes? Can others see the difference that he has made in our life? But one of the questions that we kind of wrestle with is then, how do you measure spiritual growth? How how do you do that? I mean, physical growth is relatively easy to measure. For example, uh, I was talking to Gail this week, and she dug this out of our family archives. You know, when our boys were young, we had this growth chart that hung on the wall in our home, we'd put it up, and once or twice a year, we'd bring out the ruler, put it on the guy's head, you know, and we would uh, see how much they had grown in the past year, and they were always eager to do that. 
I looked at this, you know, I hadn't seen this in years now, and apparently in our family, you can't be taller than six foot one inch or else you're going to need another sheet of paper here. So, so we got dad up here at the top, I'm just barely on the paper, and then it goes down and you can see all the way from the boys when they were about three years old where we started measuring them. And they were always eager to compare themselves with one another too to see who was going to be the tallest in the family or would they outgrow dad at some point along the way. Well, that's, that's easy to measure. And the same thing is true of things like weight. You can jump on a scale or in terms of uh, abilities like to run, you can time somebody how fast they can run a certain distance and all of those things. But what about spiritual growth? I mean, can you use a chart like that really to measure the fruit of the Spirit? You know, like how much have you grown in love? Or what are you feeling like today? Are you not feeling that love or are you feeling like you are pretty loving? I mean, that's a little harder to measure. Or joy or peace or patience. And yet that doesn't make them less important. They are very important. And our hope is that through the years over time, as you look back on your life, that you would do some reflection on those things and you would say that I'm not the person today that I was in the past. I have grown by the grace of God. And in my life, I have become more patient, more loving, more joyful. I experience greater self-control. That all of those things would be evident in time in our life. But Paul talks about some other aspects of maturity here too that are very important. And what I'd like us to look at today are really these three marks of a mature believer that Paul identifies in this passage. And they really do cross over. They aren't just um, true of the individual, but they are also true of the church. And the first one of those is a commitment to Christ and his church. One of the marks of maturity in our life is that we are committed not only to Jesus as the head, but we are committed to his church. We're involved. We're active. We're participating in the life of a local church. You see, a mature believer understands that we need one another to help us grow spiritually, that we can't do this on our own. In fact, the New Testament would affirm that one of the marks of immaturity is when we think that I don't need anybody else. I can just do this on my own, me and God, you know, and, and I don't need the church. I don't need other Christians. That's a very foolish thing to say. You can go back to even the reformers who said things like John Calvin said this, that he who desires to have God for his father must also have the church as his mother. And that wasn't a Catholic doctrine, that was these reformers understanding the New Testament that it was saying that you cannot grow to maturity as a Christian apart from fellowship and participation with other believers. We need one another to be healthy. And a mature believer also understands that a healthy church is a powerful witness to the world. That when Jesus said, by this all men will know you are my disciples, he was talking about our love for one another. And you can't do that individually. That is something that is done in the context of a local church where people see how we treat and care for one another. And that is a strong witness to the world. 
Paul will tell us that we are united by a common faith in verse 13, for example, that we are to grow in unity in the faith. And by the word faith there, he's um, using that word faith in this context to mean the teaching we have received or the gospel that we have heard, that we have this common faith that we share, that we all believe or in agreement upon these essentials of the faith who God is, who Jesus is, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the work of Christ in our salvation. And we are united by a personal relationship with Jesus as our Lord. That we are united by our knowledge of the Son of God. And that word knowledge there means personal knowledge, intimate knowledge. It's not just something we know in our head, but we have come into this relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is true of all who are part of his family. So here we have these things that unite us, and then we are to grow up in all things into him that is Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. We are to become more and more like him in our thoughts and in our actions. And I don't know if Paul had this in mind, but if you think about when a newborn baby is born, you ever notice how the, the head seems a little bit large for the body? I mean, that's just the way we come out of the womb. And, and there is a sense in which that newborn baby has to grow into his head or her head. And in that same way, Christ is the one who is mature and complete in all things. And we as a church are to grow up into him, becoming more and more like him. The picture that Paul describes here is one of a mature church being like a healthy body where everyone does its part. And just like in a healthy body, he will use these expressions like in verse 16, that the whole body is held together by every supporting ligament joined together and builds itself up in love. But that is what we are to be. We are to be this mature church that is like that healthy body where everyone does his part to help the church grow. You know, I was thinking about this and I, I trying to illustrate it and I was thinking, you know, later today, I'm sure many of you and I will be too watching a football game. That's become sort of a social event in America. It's a time when friends get together and you, you watch the game. And sometimes that's a good thing to be with friends because the games don't always turn out to be quite as close as you might hope. And so it's kind of fun to be there with other friends and talking during that time. But football is one of those sports that is really a team sport. And today the team that's going to win is probably the one that plays the best as a team. I mean, you can't do this as an individual. If you as an individual think that, you know, I've got to take this on myself to do everything and win this game, it's probably not going to happen. Because football is a team sport, and in order to be successful, each one needs to do their part. A couple weeks ago, as many of you were probably watching the Green Bay game, and there was an illustration in there of what I mean. Um, and, and I'll say this uh, ahead of time. You know, before the game, I had texted Jason. I said, I'm going to be pulling for Green Bay today. And then after the game, I was thinking, this felt an awful lot like cheering for the Vikings. Um, <laughs> you know, it was just one of those kind of heartbreaking losses. 
And there was this decisive moment in the game where Seattle was doing this onside kick and the player for Green Bay, the tight end who will remain nameless here uh, in this illustration, you know, jumped up to get that ball and fumbled it. Went through his hands, bounced off his helmet, and Seattle recovered. And from there, things continued to go downhill. Well, when I was listening to the comments on that play after the game, what they were pointing out was that this individual just kind of forgot his assignment. His assignment was not to catch the ball. His assignment was to block. And he was supposed to block so that Jordy Nelson, their sure-handed receiver who was standing there behind him, would catch the ball. And instead, he said, I just sort of lost my head. I just sort of instinctively went up when I saw the ball coming toward me. But what happened because of that is he left a breach in the line where the onrushing, kicking team could come through this breach and hit him and the other players. If he had done his job, his assignment to block and let the designated player catch the ball, things might have turned out quite differently. And when I think about that in the church, can you imagine coming on a Sunday morning and what if our children's ministry decided that today they just weren't going to show up? And we had children running amok in the basement, just doing whatever they wanted to do. Would that affect what we're trying to do up here in the service? Well, it sure would. Or what if during the week somebody decided that, you know what, we're just not going to clean the bathrooms this week. We're just not going to shovel any snow on the sidewalk and, and let things be out there. And would you notice that? Well, sure. We'd notice that. We'd, we'd go, what happened here? What's, what's wrong? Those things that may seem in some sense, you know, behind the scenes are still so important to what we're trying to do on a Sunday morning. That each one of us has a part. From those who care for the littlest ones in our nursery and preschool to those who prepare to teach the classes to what takes place in the worship service, from those who greet at the front door and welcome those who come, and especially those who are new, to those who prepare to lead us in worship or to share a message. I mean, each one has a part to do. And, and when we do our part as unto the Lord, what happens? The whole church grows. And so one of the ways that we can measure spiritual maturity is to look at a person's involvement in ministry and in the church because each of us has that gifting. That's what Pastor Jason was talking about last week. We've all been given a gift. We all have abilities that we can use. So what is our part in that? Where do we fit in in the body of Christ and where can we serve? It shows in our giving that we understand that giving is not something that uh, we do to, say, pay the bills in kind of a pragmatic way, but we give because we want to participate in what the Lord is doing in our church, in our community, and in our world. And when we give of what God has given to us, we are also recognizing that God is the owner of everything that I have. And I'm just a steward. And what God asks of me is that I give back to him 
a proportion of what he has given to me. And that's why we talk about things like tithing, giving to God 10% of what he has given to us, giving him the first fruits of all that we have, because when we do that, we share in the work of ministry and we share in the reward and the blessings that come from that. Mature believers are generous givers. And mature believers also get involved in ministry. They know that there is a place where they can serve according to their gifts and their passions. And every ministry is important for the overall health of the body of Christ. You know, one of my great joys in ministry is to see through the years how this church has grown and how you have stepped up and gotten involved in ministry. And sometimes people talk about, you know, in churches or you hear this in businesses or organizations, this kind of 80-20 principle where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I want to say clearly that is not true here. And as I look at our church, about two-thirds of the church are actively serving in ministry in some area. And... And, you know, when I think about the one-third that maybe aren't yet at that point or aren't doing it as much, that's okay. Because, you know, what happens when we start out as those who are coming to church and maybe we're just not sure about this thing and we're not sure of our relationship with Jesus Christ, this is a process of growth. And just like an infant starts out and needs a lot of care to help when we are young Christians, we're just learning, we're just growing but part of what we learn through the years is the importance of serving. And because of what you do in ministry, because of your involvement in what's happening here in the church, do you know that every year somewhere between 70 to 100 people come to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord? Today we've got a bouquet of white roses up here. Amen. Yeah. And, and this bouquet of white roses is because a member of our church is faithfully involved in a jail ministry going in, and he's been leading a Bible study with young men in a correctional facility in the area. And just recently, 14 young men asked Jesus to be their Savior and Lord. Praise God. And you know that because of what you have done and your faithfulness in serving, whether it's in our children's ministry or with students or adults, that God through the years has raised up 32 people from our church who have gone on into full-time Christian ministry. In 30 years, God has raised up 32 people that have gone on to serve him in different areas as youth workers, as missionaries, as pastors, in different vocational ministry. Praise God. You are making a difference. And when you join in the work, you share in the reward of what God is doing. A mature believer is also committed to truth, to knowing and applying the word of God in their life and helping others to do the same. In verse 14, Paul says that uh, if we will do this, if we are growing into Christ, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Infants are vulnerable. We think about that with babies. When uh, Gail and I had our first son, Matthew, and we brought him home from the hospital... You know, we were excited and we were a little scared or nervous. I mean, that, 
that first time when you bring the baby home from the hospital and you're looking at this tiny, frail, little boy for us. And you're thinking, you know, man, I've never done this before. I've not been a parent before. How do I do this? How do I carry them or hold them? I want to make sure that I was supporting the head when you carried him. I want to make sure that, you know, we've got the crib is set up right and it's safe. And when you give them a bath, you want to make sure that the water temperature is not too hot when you're bathing or when you're feeding them, that the food is at the right temperature or that it's palatable for them so they don't choke on it. You know, it's a 24-hour job. All these things that we're trying to do as we care for an infant. And spiritually, what Paul is saying is that new believers are vulnerable too to false teaching and false teachers. They can be easily persuaded. They don't know the word of God yet well enough to be able to discern between truth and error and they need others to help them do that. What makes it a little more challenging though in helping uh, those of us grow who maybe you came to know Christ as an adult is that sometimes people are more willing and eager to learn than others. And sometimes it takes a while to get to that point where we see how much we need other people to help us. This past week um, at our elder board meeting, we had a a report from our adult ministry, and Jason brought in three men in our church who have grown in Christ in their years here and kind of could mark their progress on our discipleship pathway. And it was wonderful to see them go from being a person who in that first stage is saying, well, I I believe in God, but I'm not sure about Jesus. I'm just not sure yet of my commitment to him. And to see them come to make a commitment to Christ and then begin to grow and be grounded in the faith and the spiritual disciplines and discovering their gifts and then get involved in ministry and grow through these four stages of discipleship to the point where they can say of Jesus Christ that he has changed my life and he's the most important person to me. It's just, it's a marvelous thing. And what was interesting as I listened to the stories though was to hear that, you know, It took years to get to that point. I mean, some made a commitment to Christ and then for four years kind of just stayed at that point. Kind of not sure, not sure yet, not willing until finally they made the decision that I really need to jump in and work at this and then begin to grow. And for others, it was, you know, a process of people inviting them to come or a wife encouraging them to come. Please come, please come. Come to our worship, come to our ABF, come listen and inviting. And finally, when they did and they took that step, then this growth began to take place as they got into the Word. We see the importance of what happens on Wednesday nights when there are parents who bring children to Awana and we have classes that are offered. And sometimes those parents will say, well, you know, my kids are here or my youth are here. I guess I might as well check out one of these classes. And that's why we offer them. Christianity Explored, come and see and understand the Bible and what it's all about. Or Discipleship Explored or The Truth Project or other classes that we've done through the years to help people get into the Word of God because that's when we begin to grow. That Word is our food. It's our source of strength and health. And if we're going to grow toward maturity, we need to know the Scriptures. We need to be able to defend our faith I look back in my own life, and for me personally, 
Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, was so powerful. When I began to read that and see the evidence that there was for the faith, that was transforming. And I remember being a a young student in class, and I was taking a Western uh, civilization class, and I had a professor who really kind of mocked the Bible and mocked Christianity in that class. And I remember him, you know, one day he was making the comment, and he said, you know that in the uh, Bible in the Old Testament, the Jews never believed in a resurrection. They never believed that there was life after the grave. And... I raised my hand, and I had my Bible with me in class, and I just asked him the question. I said, well, how do you respond then to what Job said in Job 19 when he said, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, in other words, after I have died, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, and how my heart yearns within me. And he was silent. He kind of just shrugged, like, guess I hadn't seen that before. And there was an opportunity in that class to just speak to the other side. But I couldn't have done that if I didn't know the scriptures. I mean, we need to know the truth of God's word in order to be able to answer the questions or the objections that people may have. And there are great tools out there that can help us to do that. Evidence that demands a verdict is one of those. But now to have a new book published, Apologetics for a New Generation, that Sean McDowell wrote, Josh's son, and uh, Jason Carlson has a chapter in that book too. That's wonderful. Because we need to continue to defend this truth and to raise up new people, a new generation of people who can do that. Or recently, I had the privilege to see the movie Patterns of Evidence that Tim Mahoney has put together. Tim Mahoney is a friend of Jim and Peggy, and he's been to our church before. And this particular movie, it's going to be in a DVD format, and we'll be able to use it here too. But it is powerful. What Tim is doing is he's trying to answer the question that so many people have about is there any proof for the exodus? And there are a whole lot of unbelievers and archaeologists and people who don't believe in the Bible who say that there's absolutely no evidence for the Semites ever being in Egypt or for the exodus at that time or for a conquest of the land of Israel. And yet what Tim Mahoney does is he interviews people and he shows in this movie that there is indeed evidence for all of those things if you will just look at it clearly. And what was so interesting was that he actually had, it's an agnostic, a self-proclaimed agnostic who shares most of the chronology and the evidence that is out there that's absolutely amazing. I don't want to tell you more because I don't want to spoil it. I want you to see it. But what I'm saying is that there are tools that are available to help us to understand and see the evidence that is there. And one of the marks of a mature believer is knowing the Bible. He knows the Word of God, and he knows how to apply it to his life, to take the things that God has written 
and to be able to use it well like a craftsman. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that all Scripture is God-breathed. God's the author of Scripture. He spoke and his word came into being. And it is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness that the man of God or that the people of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then finally, a mature believer, a mature church is committed to love, to loving God and to loving one another. And Paul uses the word love here in, in two applications. On the one side, he says that we are to speak the truth in love in verse 15. We do that when we correct. We do that when we teach. We speak the truth in love. And it's interesting that in the Greek, it's the word truth that is a participle here. It's kind of strange. It's, it's actually saying that we are truthing in love. In other words, that speaking the truth is more than just saying it. It is also living it out. That the way people really see that you believe the truth is by the way that we live. Truth without love can be cold. It can be legalistic. Truth and love go hand in hand. If you have love without truth, it's wishy-washy. It's unclear on the need for repentance or sin or the clarity of the gospel, and we need both of those. We need both truth and love to be like Christ who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And secondly, Paul says that we are to build up the church in love. People grow best in the context of loving relationships. We need one another. We need patience and wisdom. We need exhortation. We need forgiveness and grace. We need to help one another do this. And we can only do that by the power that God supplies. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a work of God in our heart. And love is also a powerful witness to the world around us. You know, I was reading a story by John Marks. And John Marks is a producer for 60 Minutes on television. And he was a, a, as a young man, he grew up in an evangelical church, and then he left the faith. He's one of those who, you know, heard it. And then kind of walked away and got in the world and other things and just sort of drifted. But he wrote a book that's called Reasons to Believe, One Man's Journey Among the Evangelicals and the Faith He Left Behind. And he tells the story of how God brought him back to faith. And the event that was the turning point for him was Hurricane Katrina and the stories that were done on that event. And he said, as he began to investigate kind of the work that was being done in the South and in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, it was amazing to him when he saw how the church responded to those needs. He said, you know, there was a church in Baton Rouge that fed 16,000 people a day for weeks. Another church housed 700 homeless evacuees. And what he really noticed was that years after the hurricane had passed and long after the federal assistance had dried up, there were still churches sending teams regularly to help rebuild homes, to care for the needs of people that were there. 
And he said, you know, it also, it just crossed all the color lines. I mean, here you had whites and blacks working together. Here you had Cajuns from the deep south. Here you had Hispanics. You had Vietnamese all coming together. And it didn't matter the color of their skin. They just came to say, hey, we're here to help people. This is our state. This is our country. We'll let everybody else sort out that other stuff. We've got to cook some rice because there are people who need to be fed. And they came and they came and they came. And he said, I would argue that this was a watershed moment in the history of American Christianity. It certainly was in his life that the evidence of a genuine faith was seen not in words, but in deeds, in their actions, in their love for one another and for the body of Christ. A mature believer loves God and loves people. It's the first commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and strength and the second commandment to love our neighbor as ourself. And a mature church will show Christ's love to the world. So how are you doing in these three areas? If you were to measure yourself and your progress in the faith or your growth in Christ, are you committed to Christ and his church? Or are you actively involved, growing, giving, serving? Are you committed to the truth of God's word and are you growing in your knowledge of it? Do you know the word well? Can you defend it? Are you studying and applying the word of God? Are you learning and growing and sharing it with others? That's why we offer the classes that we do and encourage people to take that next step. But thirdly, are you committed to loving God and to loving one another, to becoming all that God wants you to be and helping this church become all that God wants it to be, to grow in Christ, to build up one another in love, and to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who haven't heard. Let's pray. Father, this scripture is so clear in its call that this is what you want us to be. This is what you want every church to be. And I thank you for your work of grace that you have done in our life and that transforming power of your Holy Spirit that is doing all of these things today. We're not where we want to be. We're not where you want us to be, but we are growing and we are running hard following after Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And for any fruit that you have produced, God, we give you all the glory and we thank you for the joy we have to join with you in this good work. Amen. Would you please stand? And as we've been doing on these communion Sundays, we don't have a final song, but I want to close with a benediction from Revelation chapter 1. And now to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve as God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.